Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Promises ought to be harder to make. I mean, anyone can just sort of throw a promise out there, kind of like you're tossing out last week's leftovers. It seems like they ought to be harder to make. I think that's why people say that promises are like babies. They're fun to make, but they are hard to deliver. I think, though, some promises ought to be in all marriage vows, like I promise to love you, respect you, support you, and above all else, make sure I'm not just yelling at you because I'm hungry. This would be a great promise for all of us in quarantine life as well. Actually, lots of relationships uh, could benefit from unbroken promises about all sorts of different things like, you know, toilet seats and, you know, dishwashers and loading in and unloading in and date nights and all sorts of things like that. But listen, ladies, clearly, if a man says he is going to get something done, he will get it done. There is no need to remind him every six months. There are also, of course, existential promises that could be a challenge for us because Jesus promised the end of wicked people. Thor promised the end of frost giants and I don't see many frost giants. So we've got big challenges to Easter that need to be addressed as well. Of course, there are also promises that we make to ourselves. You know, I promised myself I'd lose 40 pounds this year, but only 50 more to go. Promises are about hope, a hope that someone will deliver on what they said they would. And that means that they have to be willing to do it as well as able to deliver. Starting today, Beacon is launching a series that is based on a Max Licato book by the same name, Unshakable Hope. And we're going to be studying throughout this series, some of God's promises that will give us hope in the midst of this crisis and beyond. I want to encourage you. There there are some just absolute gems throughout that book. I'd encourage you to get it, to read it, uh, and to not miss a single week as we explore this idea of unshakable hope. Now, since it is Easter, I want to discuss the promise that kicks in when we die. What does God promise you when your lungs conspire against your body and that last breath is drawn? When the heart decides that it has had enough aches 
and breaks. And when the brain sends that one last signal that it is time to throw in the towel, the doctor calls it time of death, 11.35 a.m. By the way, happy Easter, everyone. I'm so glad uh, that you have joined us for this celebration. So now let's you know, talk about dying. Many in our church family, they have recently said goodbye to someone that they love. Some are COVID-19 and others are simply the heartbreaking cycles of life and sickness and, and death. And many more will die before this crisis is over. And it will end. This crisis will inevitably pass. And not only will this crisis pass, but another one will follow. And another after that. It doesn't matter. That is our sad reality. And even if you don't die from pandemic or war or terror or famine, all of us one day will say goodbye to those that we love and those we love will say goodbye to us. Now because fear awakens in our otherwise sleepy souls, this sort of dread. Humanity has come up with all sorts of answers to what happens when we die. Some tell us that we come back as ghosts, right? We come back as spirits that can sort of haunt this world. And these are promises that we'll be these sort of disembodied specters roaming the planet, which... Well, I got to admit, it sounds fun to sort of creep people out for maybe a couple hundred years or so. It really seems to lack the meaning and the purpose that I would like in the afterlife. Others, like pantheists, will tell us that we are all one with the universe and that one day we will join the collective consciousness. The promise here is that we'll all be assimilated. And I certainly love the idea of the unity of it all. But I'm not really a big fan of ceasing to exist as a unique and a treasured possession of our creator. Reincarnation promises us that we're going to return in another form, maybe as another person or maybe as a goat or a cockroach or something like that, depending on how you lived your previous life. I got to tell you, I think just... Honestly, really, one time through this broken planet is enough for me. And I can't really encourage a worldview. I can't really find solace in a worldview that allows people to suffer a whole series of lifetimes because of their negative karmic load. To me... That's really just a load of karma that I could do without. Naturalism, it tells us that, well, at the end of life, we are simply gone. That's it. That this life is all there is. That your accomplishments in this life, that who you were in this life, 
Maybe they'll be remembered for a little bit after you die. But soon enough, you and all of your accomplishments will be forgotten. And in the end, there is meaninglessness. As our universe sort of dies this slow, cold death. Now, for the anti-supernaturalists, well, then this virus is actually an exceptionally fit Darwinian survivor. If it or any other pandemic wins in the end, I mean, who really cares? The promise of naturalism is that in the end, you will be eaten by worms. And then we have Christianity that gives us this radical new concept that comes with a powerful, hope-filled promise. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15.54 Death has been swallowed up in victory. So what does that verse mean? How much hope can we, can we squeeze from this one simple promise in the scriptures? I want to talk about three fears that will find their relief in this promise. So the first fear, is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? Some of you will know that uh, the Kelly family, my family, has had, uh, had a hard year less than a year ago. Someone that we love had a life-threatening sickness. And then we had uh, the house fire and the move to the hotel and then a move to a rental because we're still not yet in our home. Then we had just a few weeks later, one of our, our pets, Barley, died. We've had sickness and we've had pain and we've had physical therapy and now COVID-19. Is this as good as it gets? Some of you carry a very heavy burden. It's a very heavy burden. Throughout the whole of your life, you've faced challenges and setbacks, and now you're facing career problems and job insecurity and retirement accounts that have vanished with all of the plans that you were making along that way. And some of you have sick and dying family and friends, spouses that are falling into depression. I mean, is this as good as it gets? Dear God, no. No. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem. That's what we celebrated last Sunday, Palm Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem and and soon thereafter, the leaders and the people start to turn on them, largely because he didn't give them what they wanted. And then he's celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples. And he starts to tell them, he reminds them that what he's been telling them all along, that he, in fact, was going to die. That he wasn't going to bring in the, the kingdom they had been hoping for. He wasn't going to do the things that they wanted on, his, on their timeline. But instead, that he was, in fact, going to die. And he did. That's what we honor on Good Friday. And that should have been the end of the story. One more Jewish Messiah, dead. But of course, that's not the end of the story. 
not by a long shot. Because then Jesus was buried in an actual tomb made with real stone. And Jesus left the tomb with a real resurrected body. Later in that same chapter, we're told, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen Asleep. So he goes and he appears to the women and then he appears to the disciples and he appears to the guys on the road to Emmaus and then he continues to appear for over a month. He is eating and he's, and he's laughing and, and he's teaching and he's being with his people. He proved to hundreds of people that he had risen from the dead and then before leaving earth, he told them to tell the world what they had seen. I mean, that was the birth of Christianity 2,000 years ago. This is the message that Christians have been proclaiming. But think about it. If it, was, if it was merely about a dead guy come back to life, who really cares about it? See, it's because Jesus told us that we too can beat death. See, now he's got our attention. Jesus laid down his life so that we would never have to worry about our sins separating us from God, that we wouldn't have to suffer the penalty of our rebellion, eternal separation and death. He promises us that we too will have life after death. Max Licato in the book, he says, many people mistakenly think that their fondest moment, their deepest joy and most profound experience happens sometime between the delivery room and the funeral home. Someone needs to tell them this is just the beginning. As good as it gets for the Christian, this world is as bad as it gets. See, every single heartache of this world is your soul crying out for eternity. Reminding us of the promise that we can hope in. See, the place they buried Jesus, it was a borrowed tomb. And the place that they're going to bury you is a borrowed tomb. The second fear. What happens one minute after I die? The passage goes on to tell us in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You get this idea, the first fruits. It's a, it's a harvest term. You know, you go out into your garden and you grab the first of the fruits. You grab the first apple from the tree. You grab that first tomato from your plant. It's the first fruits, but the first fruit is a promise that other fruit is coming. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us a promissory note. You see, we don't simply have hope for this life, but for the next. He came back 
from the dead, and in doing so, he proved his power over death. See, not only does he want to, not only is he willing to give us life after death, he has the power to make good on that promise. But when? When do those who have fallen asleep wake up? So when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was crucified alongside two other guys. They were, they were criminals. And one of the criminals, partway through his own crucifixion, had a change of heart. And he, he, could, he cries out to Jesus, which is sort of remarkable because here's Jesus being crucified on a cross right next to him. And so in, in this moment of just stupendous faith, he reaches out, he asks Jesus to remember him. And here's what we read, Luke 23. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. That very day. In just a few short minutes and hours, this thief on the cross was going to be with Jesus in paradise. All that had happened before, including the crucifixion, will just be a bad memory. You see what this means? There is no soul sleep. It's not like after death you're going to rest for a couple thousand years in some sort of coma-like existence. Today, there's going to be no delay. It means that there's no purgatory where you're going to have to suffer for your sins. See, that very day, you'll be with him in paradise. The scripture promises us that when we die, our soul goes into the very presence of God. So we're not yet resurrected in the fullness of that word, but we will exist in a conscious spirit form in the presence of Jesus. St. Paul, he elaborates on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident. I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Or consider this promise in Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. For I, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. In the Lord of the Rings, Pippin the Hobbit, he believes that they are about to die in this terrible war. And he tells Gandalf, I don't think it would end like this. Here's what he says.
Gandalf had gotten a picture. He had, he had glimpsed what was going to happen, what was coming next. He saw the distant land, and he knew that it was beautiful. This is great hope. Listen, if you are blessed enough to see a follower of Christ take their last breath, if you are privileged to be there, then you are able to immediately celebrate with them their entrance into the very presence of the Creator. I think if you'd asked your friend or your brother or your mother or, or a grandparent to come back after just a few moments in the presence of Jesus, I think they would be like, are you serious? What? What are you asking of me? Why would you want that for me? Just a taste of that paradise. And they would cling to it. They would long for it. Max Licato, he tells a story of his friend Lewis. He had been in the hospital. His heart was giving out. He had flatlined a few times. And in those hours where they were fighting to bring him back, he had gone down a few times and come back already. And after that had already happened, he'd already begun to taste death. He, he had his wife lean in close and he whispered to her, he said, come with me. It's very beautiful. Come with me. It seems as if Lewis had glimpsed that far off country and he started to long for it. See, our entrance into paradise is the very first step to our forever life. Now remember, at this point, we are still the disembodied spirits because that is not yet our final home. There is something else that can give us great hope. The third fear, what will my life after death be like? You know, what will it be like? Will, will, will I know people? Will any of my friends be there? Will, will it be boring? And we start to ask all of these sorts of detailed questions. And the further we go down that road, the fewer and fewer details the Bible offers us. But the details that it does give us speak of, of peace and, and joy and, and hope and, and promise and purpose and meaning. And it paints all of these incredible images for us, helping us captured for just, just a taste of what this new life will be like. 
what we do know is that our spirits will be rejoined with our newly resurrected bodies. You can call this life after life after death. See, our final victory over death, it will begin in the last days. Those are the last days of earth as we know it. The end times when Jesus returns to bring this whole current age to an end. Thessalonians captures it like this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Or consider this in John. He says, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. I was at a cemetery this week. And cemeteries, I think they can be unsettling places on a normal day. This is all amplified during this pandemic. And one day, these quiet and unassuming places, they'll be exploding with activity. I mean, I like to, I like to picture them crawling with television crews and, and reporters and, and there's conspiracy theorists and there's going to be some real panic and there's going to be fear because the graves of the Christ followers will be emptied and we will join with Christ in the air. This is an incredible, mind-blowing promise. Then we will be given our forever bodies, spiritual, incorruptible, free of sickness, weakness, bodies that will never age. They will never die. You know, you've never, you've never really known yourself as you were meant to be. This will be, this body and this age, this will be who we were truly meant to be, free of the stain of sin or of disease. Incredible promise. But that's only the very beginning because then things get breathtakingly beautiful. See, your new body, it's going to be, it's only the beginning of this new thing that is happening. At the very, very end of the Bible, in the book of the Revelation, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything new. Can you begin to picture what this will be like? 
everything new. Take for just a moment and ask yourself, what, what do you hate about this world? What breaks your heart now? Disease? Gone. COVID-19? Gone. Loneliness? Gone. Abuse? Violence? Racism? Gone. No, seriously, just, just what, think about it. Just reflect for a moment. What do you hate about this world? What are the things that are happening? What, what hurts? What heartache crushes your soul? What is it? Because soon it will be gone. What will that be? No lying politicians? Yes. Actually, no politicians whatsoever. Maybe the exhausting news cycles will be gone. The DMV, gone. I mean, or at least the long lines at the DMV, gone. There are no more flat lines and no EMTs. There's no body bags or refrigerator trucks. There's social distancing, it's, it's gone. Stay at home orders, gone. Fear of financial ruin. Friends, the streets are paved with gold. We borrowed this world, we broke it. And God is saying, I am making everything new. That is a glorious hope. See, Christianity embraces this powerful promise of life after death because of what Jesus did on Easter. That's what we celebrate. That death is swallowed up in victory. It's swallowed up in victory. Wherever you are, just, just say that. Say that out loud. Death is swallowed up in victory. Turn to the person next to you, as weird as that is, and tell them death is swallowed up in victory. Get on a Zoom later with your friends, with your small group, and say death is swallowed up in victory. Go ahead, type it in the comments right now. Just celebrate this great truth. Death is swallowed up in victory. Burn it into your heart. Listen, every single one of us, we're going to die from our last disease. That is inevitable. There will be one last breath taken. There will be one last heartbeat heard. One last beep on the monitor is going to announce that your time on earth is over. Now listen, I just, what happens then? Have you made plans for your death day? What are your plans? I'm not trying to be morbid here. But as the scriptures paint it, this is the single most important moment of this life. The, the day you decide what is going to happen to you. 
whether you will trust in the promise of Jesus and you will embrace this unshakable hope or whether you will decide to try and weather that storm on your own. Take it from the one who has already died and come back. He already's proven his love for you. He's asking you to accept it, to trust, to put your hope in him. You know, most of us, we want to delay or avoid death as long as we can. And I certainly understand this even for Christians. We have so much that we want to do and so much mission that is yet to be fulfilled. But every single one of us will make that journey. Christians, you, you have a promise from the living God that your death is going to be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. So my friends, listen, you can live without fear in this world. You can live without fear. Listen, a scared world needs a fearless church. Be that and so much more. Friends, your best life awaits. Will you put your unshakable hope in Christ? I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in some worship as well as the Lord's table. We're going to be receiving communion here in just a moment. And as we prepare our hearts for that, would you pray with me? Lord, what we're asking for is that you would meet us in these moments. I know, Lord, there are all sorts of different folks watching today. And some are going to hear this word of encouragement and they're going to take it to heart and they're going to say, yes, I've been struggling. I've been struggling with fear and with insecurity about the future and and I'm going to just trust in the promise of Jesus. And there are others here, Lord, who are just, you've been sent this link and they've been, they're more skeptical or even cynical or father. They just don't know how to turn to you. And in these moments, I'm asking that you would speak to their hearts right there, wherever they're sitting, right in their home, whenever they're watching this, Lord, I'm praying that you would speak to their hearts and that you would, would offer them this promise of hope that we find throughout your word and that, Lord, they, they would turn to you. They would trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. They would recognize his death on the cross was for them. That they would hope in you. Lord, there's so much heartache and so much brokenness. And Lord, we know this isn't the way it was supposed to be. We're asking that in the midst of all of it, that because of your great love for us, that we, Father, would turn our hearts to you, that we would stand strong in the face of every heartache and every trial, knowing that you are a good God and that you will one day bring us home. Amen.